Hello, and welcome to The One Inch Barrier, the podcast that will review all of the films that have won Best International Feature Film at the Academy Awards, or formerly known as Best Foreign Language Film. My name is Juan Carlos Ojano, and I am your host. And every week, we're going to have a guest that will be with us to discuss the winners of this category. So before we go on, I'd like to wish our listeners um, safety and good health of what's going on in the world. It's crazy. And um, if you can stay home, just stay home. Don't believe the people who are saying that you're, it's okay to go out. It's not. So anyway, for the very first episode is Pilot. We're going to jump right into the most recent winner, which is Parasite or Gi Seng Chung in its original title from South Korea. Parasite is written and directed by Bong Joon-ho, and this is South Korea's first win and nomination. So just for a very quick summary, it is about the Kims, an impoverished family living in a semi-basement apartment, or Ban Jin-ha, who have decided to con their way into the lives of the Parks, which is an affluent family, by, and they did that by taking over the jobs in the residence, namely an English tutor, an art tutor, a family driver, and housekeeper kicking out the housekeeper in the process, the original housekeeper. And everything was going fine until one night when it was raining and suddenly the first housekeeper showed up unannounced. And we're going to stop there because that's just the first half of the film. So a lot to unpack with this film. Cannot do it alone. I'm going to be bringing in our, our guest for the very first episode. I am so excited. So... He's a writer in Gold Derby and Awards Watch, and he is the host of my personal favorite podcast, and the runner-up is, please welcome Mr. Kevin Jacobson. Hello. Hi. Hey, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be kicking off this podcast. (laughs) Oh, yes. And yeah, I am so excited, and I would like to thank you for saying yes. And I'd like to thank you for being a true inspiration for me that to start this podcast. And I've been listening to your work and I've told this before, but yeah, um, I'm going to fangirl for a moment, but I binged your episodes for mm-hmm. a few months. <laughs> and then I was able to keep up with the pace with the Defiant Ones episodes. So that was a lot of catching up. And yeah, <laughs> yeah so uh, for, for the listeners who are, who don't know what I'm talking about, uh, please tell them your, um, what, what And the Runner-Up is, is about. Sure. Well, And the Runner-Up is, is a show where we uh, discuss the best picture runners-up of each Oscar year. And so, you know, most blogs or podcasts usually talk about best picture winners, for example. But what I wanted to do with this show is to highlight the films that are sort of in the shadow of those best picture winners that became that came very close or maybe was, you know, upsets in the case of like La La Land or Brokeback Mountain, films like that. And to just sort of discuss the films themselves and also discuss why they came up short and then, you know, whether, whether the film was actually maybe better in, in hindsight than the best picture winner. And so we have gone all the way back in reverse order you know, we started with three billboards and went, and now we're in the 40s right now. So we're almost done with the Oscars, and I'm very sad and excited at the same time to be sort of finishing it out with the early, early Oscar years now. Yeah, great podcast. So to anyone who's listening, be sure to check his work as well and where um, 
where can they find and the runner is uh well it's everywhere you could find podcasts pretty much apple Podcasts, spotify google play anything i'm also on twitter very frequently at oscar runner up where we do lots of fun rankings as well yeah that's great yeah usually um the winners are boring and the runners up are like oh that should have won so yep. yeah yeah great <laughs> great great stuff out there so it's a i recommend it highly recommend it for oscar fans and film lovers in general it's like a great resource and it just goes deep into Oscar races of each year. And yeah. Yeah, we really, we really nerd out. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's a pleasure to listen to it. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, I appreciate you so much for being a fan. I just wanted to say that. Yeah. And yeah. I thank you for being a trailblazer and a true inspiration. So let's start with the general thoughts. Uh, there's a lot of topics here. <laughs> so... Uh, I'm just going to ask the first question. What do you think of Parasite? Oh, boy, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> Par Parasite is, uh, you know, to bring back the word trailblazer, that's, that's really what I feel like Parasite is going to end up being, possibly, for the future. And I think the film is just a masterclass in so many things between building tension, you know, and assembling just a fantastic ensemble of actors who bounce off each other so well and also it you know obviously it makes a really great commentary on class and the tension between the rich and the poor and how they both kind of need each other in order to survive you know in their own ways and yet there's so much beautiful symbolism between the the stairs and the the scholar rock you know that that Kevin gets at the beginning and follows him all the way through kind of and you know I think it's also just a very specific South Korean story but it's also very universal and I think that's a huge reason why it resonated so much all around the world including you know making history at the Oscars and so I think it's just a story that resonates with you no matter who, what, you know, what class you're in between these rich Academy members, for example, who resonated with the film clearly, and also just the average moviegoer like, like you or me that are just, it, it just resonates, I think, no matter who you are. Well, yeah, <laughs> hard to top that since you um, talking about a lot of, you know, from the, from, what the great things in the film and what it means as well as how it affected uh, the audiences in general but um do you remember the first time you watched parasite yes 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 that was an interesting experience because i think you are also on film twitter a lot so i think there was a lot of hype around <laughs> parasite between people at festivals who were seeing it for the first time and really just hyping it up like crazy. And usually with films like this, I think there can be a bit of a backlash in terms of once people first see it, you know, like regular audience goers see it, it's like, mm, is, it, is it as great as, you know, people are saying it was at these festivals? But 
in this case, it was the rare example of a film that not only met my ex expectations when I saw it in theaters, I think it was like October or so of 2019, but just exceeded those expectations, really. So, yeah, I mean, I just remember walking out of the theater being like, I'm just so grateful that this movie exists in the world. <laughs> which sounds hyperbolic, but that's really how I felt. I felt like I was seeing a real, one of those films that will be regarded for a long time as one of the best films maybe ever made. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I remember also the first time I watched it, I watched it with my mom and, um, you know, it premiered at Cannes and um, some of my friends from um, film school are like, oh, it won at Cannes, Bong Joon-ho. And I'm like, my, my, my only exposure of Bong Joon-ho is Mother, which was also submitted, and uh, Snowpiercer. And um, those were great films, but I'm not as hot on those films as with Parasite. So um, that's the danger, I think, of, of premiering in film festivals is that, and especially in regard with regards to the Oscar season is that there's always a tendency for people to say, this is the winner, this is the best thing. And there is this like, um, I'm doing hand demonstrations and so people are not gonna see this, but like <laughs> there is this trajectory of like, you're the yeah. best to you're the worst because you did not live, live up to the expectations. And uh, people are saying, go in blind, go in blindly when you watch Paris. Yep. I'm like, yep. sure, yep. sure, sure, uh, gonna do that. and. Actually, here in the Philippines, it ran four separate times. First one was in August, and then October or November, and then December. And then it ran again for the Oscar nominations. And then when it won, it ran again in cinemas. So I think we caught it on the second screening, like the October, November. So my mom and I watched it, and it's like, this is, this is cool. This is nice. And then it just went into unexpected places. Yep. And I felt like there is no overhype that can overhype this film. And that sounds like an overhype in itself. But um, I remember when I, for, when I was watching it, it's like, oh, nothing can prepare me for this. And a lot of, this, it, a lot of it is in, is in the fact that uh, Bong Joon-ho, I think, or we're gonna we're gonna go deep into Bong Joon-ho later, but I think this is just him uh, being in his element because most of his works and even um, some film, films from South Korea, um, there is a weirdness to it that works in the context of the story and the truth that this film is trying to tell, and Paris had just kept on going into these weird directions that makes sense but because it was plotted out so intricately but also it's not like a puzzle you watch it like yeah i'm watching it oh, oh, oh so it's all revealed in a natural way but it still leaves it still leaves you surprised and uh the jaw-dropping moment was that bunker moment what we're going to talk about our favorite scenes in a while so yeah Bong Joon-ho uh I think the his direction it's just a complete film I think it's a film that when you're watching it you know this is a master doing it because everything is working the cinematography the from the, the editing the production design the score and it just uh 
excites me because you know when you I mean I graduated in film school and like the, the professor would teach you like this is how you make a film this is how it works and it all comes into play so I remember moments where like it's like you felt that uh, I'm so thankful this film exists and uh, yeah so his visual design is just amazing and yeah <laughs> also i just remember people at the time being like this is a film that you can't really classify as a drama or a comedy or horror or thriller it's kind of like bog jude ho has created his own genre with this you know and i remember just people just in my regular life who don't really get super involved with film in the way that we do for example yeah. just being like what kind of a film is parasite and i sort of struggled to really articulate what it was about the film that just makes it so special without just going off on a big you know tangent about the entire film to really explain just how incredible and unique it is yeah and uh, yeah those are the moments when you when you just go like Let's just go watch it. Yeah, <laughs> Can't that's, explain. That's all you need. To uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of the tonal shifts? Because, like you said, it's it shifts into a lot of genres. It starts like a comedy, and then it goes into really. I mean, the comedy is black. It's pitch dark, and then it just goes into deeper, deeper, uh, dark corners of um, the feelings that this film can make. So, what do you think of those tonal shifts? Yeah, I do think that it can, you know, some films can struggle with tonal shifts in terms of it feeling like uh, there feels like there's a lot of different films going into one here and it's not really feeling cohesive, you know, but with this, I feel like it's just almost like peeling an onion where it's just like, you know, going deeper and deeper into this story in a way that feels, again, like I said, unique to Bong Joon-ho, but just it, it all just feels weirdly natural even though it's a very heightened situation that's happening here you know this big swindling that the uh the kim family is pulling off here is very you could say that it's a little bit you know fantastical maybe but is also weirdly plausible and that's where a lot of the first half of the film is just really fun to watch just on a, on a comedic level, just sort of watching to see if they can pull it off, you know? And the way that it's then, it feels like the bottom drops out as soon as you hear the doorbell, you know, <laughs> from, from, the, from the housekeeper. It's just like, this is gonna get even nuttier. <laughs> and I, I love that the film just uh, goes in and you think it's going to be just about Oh, it's about the rich and it's also and it's about the rich and the poor that's that's what it's going to be it's going to be this war of these two families but i love that it adds this other element of a couple who are in even a, even a worse state than the kim family and how those two factions also are at war with each other you know the the lower classes are are at war with each other all in an effort to sort of please this richer family, really. And you see that when they're literally struggling with the phone and they're all just on top of each other, you know? <laughs> Stuff like that, I think is just, 
yeah, like I said, I think it just deepens and deepens in a way that feels natural, but also very exciting and thrilling to watch. Yeah, uh, totally agree. There were moments in Paris that because, yeah, it starts off uh, very lightly, um, still dark, but the humor is there and it works. And then as it shifts, it felt natural because it's, I think, the overall concept of Parasite, which is a class conflict, and um, Bong Joon-ho has been vocal about this, about capitalism and how it pits people against each other. It's just solid that even the transitions to a darker tone feels natural. And there were actually moments where I felt like, should I mean, this is funny, but I, 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 this is too dark. Uh, should I still be laughing? And yes. I am guilty of laughing with, when the first time I watched it, I was guilty of laughing when someone's head hit like <laughs> hit the wall as yeah. she fell. Yeah. Yep. I was like, uh, there was an abrupt laughter that I felt like, this is funny, but oh, she, oh yeah. So that is, I think, is it's just masterful handling of tone, and the once the film got darker and um, the stakes got higher, uh, the 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 way the weirdness still plays out consistently, but it doesn't make the death for laughs now. This is serious. So, and the whole film is serious. It's just that um, there is a certain comic weirdness to how the Kims infiltrated it because I think the tone of the film coincides with how they feel. Like, you know, they're feeling great. So it's a comedy, but when they discover that there's something uh, darker and deeper, it just shifts and I think that's why it was seamless and you just go along with the ride and um, yeah and I, I owe it to the screenplay that is just so well written because the characters are so specific and um, I just don't think I just I mean I just think that these characters are so well drawn that in the end Bong succeeds in telling a story about class and and capitalism because no one's villainized in my opinion even the parks have their own problems um and actually i'm gonna i think i think this is like a great segue to the themes of this film like you mentioned a lot about symbolisms and all that um on how in the kim family i i observed this this is a few nights ago uh, in the kim family it felt like the men are like the vocal like oh let's do this let's do that i am so excited and then the women uh jessica and the mother like we're under we're in control and on the other hand in the park family um it looks like a traditional family with the the mother at home and the father working but it's really the mother uh who is doing a lot of the behind the scenes work so i was interested because even if the Park family is saying some demeaning things to the Kim family, even if they're not, they don't even know yet that they're all in the same family, the smell. Mm. Um, it just shows that uh, the film and Bong is not interested in pinpointing at a specific group of people. And I think that's how Parasite appealed even to the elite is that it's not, uh, antagonizing anyone specifically. It's attacking a system that pits us against one another. 
So, yeah, class and capitalism, as Bong Joon-ho is re repeating in his uh, tour. So, yeah, you mentioned about the stairways and, uh, yeah, want to talk about the stairways sure. and the, ba yeah. the semi-basements and the basements of it all? Yeah, well, Bong has mentioned in interviews that he considers this a staircase movie something like that and just about how like there's this repeated theme of how simple it is to just go up the stairs as they say at the end of the film but you could just as easily just be for example kicked down the stairs you know yeah. very bluntly and in a way that you don't expect how the rug can just be thrown out from under you and yeah I like how the film like you said doesn't demonize either side that much even though we're clearly meant to sympathize a little more with you know the Kim family but uh, I just remember seeing online a few people who had seen it after a lot of the hype was happening and how there was some some on the richer end who were just like, you know, I, I sort of sympathize with the Park family. They didn't do anything wrong, you know? Some of them that didn't really get the whole point of the film. <laughs> but um, even though it can be frustrating when, you know, people don't really get it very much, I think it is intentional on his part because, you know, it's not, it's not two-dimensional on either side. They're both feeding off of each other in a way. You know, obviously you have this kim family who are trying to get ahead and leeching off of the park family you could say but then you also have the park family who are very much leeching off of the kim family but also you know any any laborer below them that they pay and they can't even they can't even wash dishes they can't even cook for themselves and you know i also think there's an interesting element of just the types of families these two are because you know the kim family is very close and you see them eating a lot together and having fun and laughing and sort of poking fun at each other and then when you look at the park family it's just they have this gigantic house so much open space and yet i don't think you ever really see them bonding too much as a family or eating together or anything and so that's another beautiful sort of symbolic thing that's in tandem with the cinematography i think really highlights the disparity between these two families and shows that you know just because this family has everything doesn't mean they're not completely dysfunctional yeah, so yeah, props to the production design of this film, oh my which God. is yes. yeah, a rare contemporary nominee at the Academy Awards. Uh, should have won, should have won. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Parasite should have won six out of six. Yeah, uh, yeah and more. Um, yeah, the production, I think uh, going back to how complete it is, the production design um, of it being uh, made, the film is, the film establishes that the film, uh, the, the house, was made by an architect so a lot of prominent lines and I think the line is also uh, a major theme here like crossing the line crossing the line and you see that visually and how and you see how the, the cinematography and the production design really uh, is showing a lot of lines and shots and the film goes even 
it, it doubles down it doubled down on the line and the concept of the smell cross smell crossing the line so uh what do you think of the smell concept because i read some thoughts about that well i found that to be the most one of the most interesting elements is just like this one little thing that it's like you know these two different families are so very different from each other in many ways and they're of such different values and class obviously but there's just whenever they have to interact even if the park family relies on the kim family so much there's always just that little bit of one little thing that is attention you know just a little bit of like oh but they kind of smell bad they smell like the subway i haven't been on the subway in forever you know that uh. sort of thing that is really it, it's really just nasty and it, it it doesn't seem like a type of thing that would send someone over the edge for example like what happens with kim mr kim i should say at the end you know obviously when mr park is like plugging his nose um but at the same time when you look at it in the context of this story this family has been through so much they went through an entire flood <laughs> and they had to go in a shelter and they couldn't even live in their own home and the 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 richer families have no context they have no idea that so many people had to go through this and it's just that one little dividing line there that sends Mr. Kim over the edge and in a way that I feel like is not necessarily like justified as much but just you understand why he would do that yeah and i agree with the smell being um you know there was a line they say like uh they're kind because they're rich and then they're rich because um something like along those lines that yeah. they're rich and they're kind so um when the when the bunker was revealed and then there was a rain i think i remember thinking that the rain was the rain put them in their place it's like a form of disillusionment like you can move up you can move down but the rain will put you back where you really belong like yeah. how nature uh, nature yeah. yeah nature really brings you back <laughs> um, so this is all an illusion and when um, I, I, what's her name oh my gosh uh when the mother of <laughs> the rich mother said like the rain was a blessing mm -hmm. and then it destroyed the home of this family yeah i think that just um i mean the moment they were the moment they discovered the bunker and then the flood in the house i think that's when it just got more intense and it caught up with them yeah no it's 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 true yeah it <laughs> caught up with them that uh, because they were already feeling it this is our house and you know what you're gonna marry this no you're living in a semi-basement you're poor and it just cost what seemed to be like um a mutual relationship you know they're earning money and uh 
they're earning money from the parks and the Kims are serving the parks. Um, it felt like, oh, this is a mutual um, symbiotic, that's a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. And yeah. then that second half, like, oh, then it's revealed like uh, how the parks benefit from um, the labor of the Kims. And now you're thinking, who's the parasite here? Are they both parasites? So it goes deeper because when you think of the title, you're just like, oh, of course, it's it's the Kims. You know, they were yeah. conning the parks, and these yeah. these they're 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 naive. You know, but when you think about it, really, um, <laughs> and, and the rain just is just a heartbreaking um, uh, symbol of how nature can really was a reality check, and I on a person level. Um, I watched this again in February. That was a time when there was a volcanic eruption here in the Philippines. Mm. So the moment of people like clamoring for their stuff and then just like leave the rest. Uh, that was just a heartbreaking thing because for poor people, a rain can mean losing everything in an instant. But for them, it's like, but for the rich people, it's, oh, the, the sky is clear. It washed yeah. away the dirt. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's the rain. And I just remember people uh, now in this pandemic that we're living in, uh, people are dying, of course. And then you see some rich people saying, uh, coronavirus is the cure. We're the virus. And I'm like, and then people were making memes about that parasite scene in the car. Like, the rain was yeah. such a blessing. And um, yeah, this is just how uh, the rich people are living in a bubble, and for the poor people, uh, the Kim family who tried to pretend their way in, it's it's a reckoning that this is the truth. It, nothing has changed. You're just pretending. Yeah. Um, again, going back to the class, um, it's interesting how in the bunker moments where the Kim family met the original housekeeper and husband. Oops, spoiler. <laughs> I don't listening yet. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Um, it's interesting how they pit, uh, how the situation pit them against each other. Uh, but at the end of the day, when you realize, and the Kims realize that um, they've been destroying each other, but the enemy, it's not even the parks. It's the system that separates yeah. them from one another, that makes them parasites. <laughs> Uh, of one another so anything else you'd like to add on well that? yeah I think that does also highlight again the you you see sometimes I'll just say in America how the poor the lower class can sometimes you know spend more time attacking each other <laughs> and really absolving any of the responsibility of the upper class for putting them in that situation and not aiding in anything. And they just, you know, they, for example, they don't vote in their own interests in an election. <laughs> you know, they are essentially voting to keep themselves in a situation with the hope that they can at some point be someone like the parks, you know? Um, and you see like with the, the housekeeper's husband, how he's just so, grateful of Mr. Park for providing so much for him, you know, 
Respect. So, yeah, exactly. It <laughs> doesn't feel any of like animosity at all. It's just, this is just the way things are and I'm comfortable here. And then, you know, but it, it gets to a point where these two different groups who are in a, of a lower class than the parks are spending more time fighting each other than them, you know, which I think is a very good and incisive commentary that is deeper than if the film had just been about these are the Kims, these are the parks. Yeah, and I think that's the that's where the impact of the birthday party scene is. It's also a realization to the characters and to the audiences that we're fighting against each other, and we and then um, you it changes their perception of one another. But uh, there is a bigger problem at play. And I think the father realized that also in the end, how in the end, the system victimizes everyone. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm so interested because like, like uh, Wang Jun-ho was, was quite blatant about how this is about capitalism. And for this to have a resounding reception in America, which is like the bedrock of capitalism, like, okay are we sending some message as well fine um yeah. yeah how about the colonialism aspect of it the the indian the native american imagery here yeah uh, that yeah. is that is definitely an interesting <laughs> element that i don't think was as covered as as it maybe should have been with when it first came out and was analyzed to death <laughs> but um yeah i think that's another interesting element just about how again the the rich can sometimes just be in their own bubble and they're like recreating like a massacre basically that's what they that's what they want to do just to just to placate this their spoiled son <laughs> just to you know demonstrate for him the atrocities of what happened there without really getting into like how dark that is or how insidious it is it's it's just another another layer of how you know the, the 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 upper class can appropriate different cultures at their leisure just because it, it's fun you know why not yeah <laughs> without really getting into the context behind it at all and that the the appropriation of native american imagery in particular is something that continues even long past the point that it should have in yeah. today's culture. I mean, even certain pop stars do that still, you know, so. Yeah. I think even in the sports industry, I, I, I yeah. think there are some, yeah, so still yeah. some teams that are like, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, there's also about the rich um, uh, making light. And this is like, this is just their hobby. Like this, he's interested in Indians now, but, they're erasing the history of violence that's been committed to this group of people. And then also going to colonialism, how they looked, um, how these Koreans um, think highly of, she has to learn English. This is a Japanese food for the dogs. We're playing with Indians now. So even on a, nat on a cultural identity level, the Korean, these families, even the parks that are rich, they think of the the um, the English, the Western culture, as the better culture, as the one. To, oh, this is 
and she has to learn English. Um, even the desire to have an English tutor, I mean, yeah. it, it, it exists here. I mean, I am an English tutor. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I haven't done any of the, <laughs> of the conning yet. But, um, yeah, well. uh, yet. I'm going to look for the Park family for my life. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this, uh, I'm just appreciative of the imagery that this film um, utilized because it's about... Um, class, but at the same time, it's so multi-layered because it's not just about as one specific thing. I mean, there is an imagery of the stairwell, like you said, the crossing the line, the the house, the rain, the, the Native American energy, the rock, which is, um, yeah. I want, you want to touch on the rock? Well, yeah, just uh, for context, it's, it's gifted to him by, <laughs> gifted to Kevin. Uh, by by a fellow college student, and it sort of is something that he clings to when times are really feeling hopeless. I think, and he really continues to feel that level of hope throughout. Um, and the the scholar's rock is sort of meant to be this symbol of hope and aspiration and wealth in a way, and to get to a to a higher level just as a human. And so it's, it's just this great symbol for that character specifically, who I suppose you could almost call the biggest lead overall of the film, just because it really feels like it's really his emotional journey that we're following almost, even though it goes to all, a lot of different characters. It feels like he has the most emotional resonance, not just because his name is Kevin. <laughs> but, um, that's just the one that I he's the character I definitely felt the most identity with of just someone who has been through all of this horrible stuff and he's seen so much horrible imagery and just been through so much but even still he still has some level of hope that he can be reunited with his family again and that things can he can have a better life and so I think that's a really nice symbol, but it's also kind of um, mixed emotions because I think you just also get the sense that it's never going to be that way for him. It's, he's not going to rise to that level, even though we see the, the image of where things could be in the end for him, he's still down in that semi-basement at the end of the film, right back where he started. Even after going through all of this, he's still there with that little window above him, you know? Yeah, he will always be, um, it, it started with him there and it ended with him there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it was his journey. So yeah, just a quick question. Since I've been asking this a lot in your podcast, uh, Choi Wushik, is he lead or supporting? <laughs> Oh boy, yes. This is a question that is probably the number one question of every single episode I do. <laughs> but I honestly just think they're all supporting. I think they're all supporting each other and that even if he is the biggest emotional resonance for me, I, I just think it's not super clear like this person is a lead. So I think they're all supporting. I think they're all fine the way the way they were probably campaigned. I think they were all campaign supporting, so. Yeah, 
I think they only campaigned one. <laughs> only one. Well, actor. that's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I mean, but we yeah, can we're talk gonna, about Song Kang Ho. Yeah, we're going to talk about him in a few moments. Yeah, that, that cast, that insane cast. But just one last thing I want to mention how the birth, how um, in the birthday party, uh, when they were preparing and the rich mother was like, oh, just, you, you can just come in your sweatpants. Just come here. Just don't bring any gifts. And you know they're not going to come in their sweatpants because they're yeah. rich. So like, oh, yeah. I mean, this system is really just, um, just, and this film just really went out and showed like how there's also hypocrisy in their ranks as a rich. And yeah, it's just a multidimensional um, uh, approach to this film about class. And one last technical thing. What did you think of its score? Oh, yes. I think that is an incredible score, especially, you know, watching it again. It's you, you really come to appreciate the technical elements once you've actually seen everything and where it's going. You come to appreciate all of those from the production design to the cinematography. But that music, you know, especially in that middle portion of like, when they're all preparing once the parks are making it clear that they have to come home, they have to cut their camping trip short and you have that like mounting tension of the music going is it's like it, it has that orchestral level that of feeling like it's like grand and epic but it also has that like dark edge to it at the same time that is yeah it's great i love it and i think it was snubbed i, I do think it was very much overlooked by the oscars and and so many different award shows that didn't acknowledge it yeah that score uh i thought it i when i first watched it i go oh this is great uh they selected great classical pieces here wow and then like <laughs> oh my gosh it, it's yeah it feels like it's just they just took classical music but it's it's all authentic stuff yeah, yeah. It, it was was really exciting um right now it's my number one score <laughs> of 2019 so when yeah. people are talking about it should be joker or our 1917 like i'm quiet here <laughs> i actually <laughs> think it's parasite yeah. um yeah that score i think was very helpful in aiding the tonal shifts because mm. it's um it's it starts sweet at the start and then it goes very big and orchestral in those moments we're just like it almost gives like the dark comic feel to it i mean yeah, i remember yeah. that moment the biggest the biggest musical moment in that montage as they take over is when the big the music was so big and song kang ho shows the fake blood with the music yes. and it's like oh yeah yeah yes and Real then fun. Yeah, and then when the film shifted to its darker, when it went to the bunker, there was a very subtle score there. And like, at first, I did not realize that. I thought, like, I thought just like some random sound design, and then I listened to it. So there's a score there, and that just that score was just um, really uh, crucial on how this film handled its. Uh, shift towards the darker in a series but it's all in a consistent way and it also feels like it's in a, it's or it's it feels orchestrated and i and i have like <laughs> this weird thing that how 
Bong Joon-ho orchestrates this with such grace and with an orchestral score like yeah that's some bullshit right there but yeah that was a feeling that i got and yep. like yeah true though it yeah. should have been in the top 50 of uh in the, the shortlisted for score i mean i've listened to some of the scores but yeah i think this is we've been pointing towards this direction let's talk about this cast Oh this cast <laughs> that won the Saga Ensemble cast, um, getting standing ovation when they're being introduced. First yeah. um, non-English language uh, film to win cast. Uh, any performers which would like to highlight? I mean, we can give well, a shout out to everyone, but yeah, yeah, let's go. We can definitely start with just Song Kang Ho, just because he was highlighted so much and was... Yeah, probably the only one who was really properly campaigned by the studio. Um, and I know a lot of people were predicting him to be nominated at the Oscars, but I was predicting him to be nominated. But yeah, I think a lot of people sort of convinced themselves that they would there there would be a big uh, swelling of you know nominations for Parasite. But anyway. Um, I just remember thinking Song Kang-ho was, was so great, but then watching it again in, in the context of, you know, all of those awards have happened, Parasite won Best Picture, it won SAG. Um, I just was paying, paying special attention to the performances, but especially his. And I just think he is really phenomenal from the very beginning because you really get the sense that even when you're first meeting him, that this is a guy who has been through a lot. You know, I'm sure he's seen a lot. I'm sure he's been through some really tough times. And I think that that is telegraphed from very early on when like the fumigation comes around and they have the window open and that totally fumigates the semi-basement and everyone else is coughing and, you know, all that. But he's having he's having no trouble at all because I, I just, I just feel like he again has just gone through the ringer of life and has gotten to this point in his life where he doesn't, he doesn't react to those smaller things anymore. And then once it gets to the point where uh, after the, after the flood and he's driving Mrs. Park and she's kind of reacting to him, like as if she, he smells bad. Yeah, right. Um, that that was visual, but you plugged your nose there. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think that's one of his absolute best scenes where you see his face drop, you know, as if to be like, he's done so much for this family already, and they still don't even really give him a modicum of respect back, really. Um, and so I think he really just manages to feel like he is simmering for a long time in this film. Like he's, he's not quite boiling over yet, but he's really just, you know, feeling, feeling the mounting tension of this situation. And then once there's that little moment at the end where Mr. Kim is, or sorry, Mr. Park is reacting to the smell again i think he telegraphs so well just why he would reach that breaking point and that's that's certainly true when um 
there's the moment when it's between Mr. Kim and Mr. Park and they're hiding in the bushes mm -hmm. and Mr. Kim just feels so humiliated to like be having this Indian headdress on. And um, I, I just think he uses his face so well in this film that he absolutely should have been nominated. It's a crime that he wasn't. It's such a tricky performance to pull off, I think, but I just think he's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, um, he was campaigned, uh, I think it was campaigned enough. It's just that the, the, the award shows just did not uh, respond, which I think is a, is a bigger problem on how Western uh, critics and audiences and award shows uh, respond to Asian performers. I mean, when it's easier for a European to be nominated in a foreign language performance than if you're giving it all and you're being campaigned so well and you still, it's still hard for them to single it out. Um, yeah, so that's a deeper problem there. Uh, but oh, yeah. yeah, just going back to Song Kang Ho, um, his perform. I mean, I, I am so... Um, my heart is just full when I see his character because this is a character that probably has some disappointments in his life and he is just so enthused when he see his family finally have finally something is happening to them um and there's just such a genuine uh, uh, love for the family and even to the parks you know he he's trying to the way he talks to mr park that like he has all the the enthusiasm like where do you get that don't, don't you see how mr park doesn't care that much but how song kang ho um telegraphs this um just appreciation of the change in their life and when it all falls apart and that scene in the rain and the flood, I mean, where he looks back to his house one more time and then looks back again. That that did not break me in my first time, but in my second time and my third time, I was like shaking. And even this last time we I watched it, that just um, sort of breaks me because in that moment, uh, Song Kang Ho was able to tell the story of so many people who are living in this life where um nothing's ever uh uh what it called nothing's ever uh steady or sure uh you can lose it every time and the way his face just uh, looks at the tragedy of that moment i was just like yeah that's a moment where you should you should have nominated him oh, but yeah. yeah it's a really tricky performance and speaking of tricky performances i would like to give a spotlight to uh choyo jong oh my god yes which was not campaigned even though she got a lot of critics awards um what did you think of this performance speaking of a very tricky performance to pull off i mean <laughs> That is a character that I think could have been very cartoonish or could be uh, too sympathetic even. But I, I, I almost feel like she, again, is another one who pulls off that tricky balance of making it clear that this is a person who just wants her family to be safe, 
and together and excel in this world, but also, you know, doesn't really have uh, almost like the personal domestic touch to really make that happen herself clearly because she's seen to be very incompetent at almost every aspect of anything in her house except for I guess you know planning a planning a birthday party she seems very good at that but um I yeah I think she conveys a lot of the um the fear that she has about her children especially when she's talking about like her son who had a seizure uh, when he was one year old, seeing seeing the man coming up uh, from the stairs. Um, I, I just feel like she has she has a great like shocked face as well, you know. Um, and it's a very physical performance, but she also gets to a certain amount of depth within that character where you do sort of almost feel sorry for her in terms of just how gullible she is and how much she wants everything to be okay in the end even if it means being a little inconsiderate in the process yeah um yeah i think her performance grew on me in the second viewing because when i when i watched it at first like because she was already getting some buzz i'm like okay it's, it's a big performance i see that <laughs> but when you rewatch it and you see how hard that role is because I think everyone here in this film, even when you compare it to Song Kang Ho, um, who is very expressive and very emotional role, I think all of these performances are like solo performances, especially the Kim since they're they're doing the conning, uh, and she's the one that needs to go big, um, and I just appreciate how she was willing to go broke with that performance but at the same time it just fits the film so much and how it's never too much and you can see even despite the class division that separates her from the kims even though she doesn't know that they're the kims right uh, there is an there is an appreciation of the labor that these people are uh, giving towards the family and uh, you know how she is trying she is willing to um, go at the back uh, of his husband of her husband to make things work at her home like don't tell my husband don't tell my husband so there is a love for this family there she has love for his family and her servants even if she still maintains that servant um, lord relationship yeah. but her naivete and uh, her just purity and she just she just wants to give a good party she just wants to have a good party yeah uh, <laughs> because she loves her son yeah that's a performance i appreciate it and i am i was actually surprised that at so i i forgot if it's blue ribbon awards in south korea she won best actress hmm. which is interesting um uh, they went with actress her there and not supporting yeah <laughs> um yeah and uh, how about the other performances? Any anything else you want? Anyone else? I mean, Park Park So Damn is certainly a big highlight. Just I think, especially comedically in the first half of the film, I think she's really fantastic. Yes, with her Illinois Chicago moment is just really fun. Um, 
And that's a, also a really interesting character too, because I think of all of the Kim family, she seems to be the one who has the least amount of difficulty really fitting in and getting along with this type of society. Like, you know, there's that great moment where she's uh, talking about art therapy and she she's back with the back with the Kims and she's talking about how like, oh, I just Googled art therapy and ad lib the rest. <laughs> I mean, she's just really great. Got that cool presence about her that she, you can really see her just like scamming her way into anything really uh, out of out of all of those characters. She really just manages to blend in so well. And that's that's a performance that I think might was 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 overlooked. But I was going to say is at risk of being overlooked just because of how easy she makes it all feel, you know? And then, uh, you know, by the end, I don't know how much we want to get too much into spoilers. We've talked about most of the film already, but <laughs> but I just find it so interesting that she is the one who has to be sacrificed, as it were, in the end, just because Again, she feels like the one who fit in the most with this society and was was able to to uh, have maybe scam her way into a life into this society very easily. But then she's the one who goes down in the end out of everyone. I think that's a really interesting choice on the uh, storytelling part, just because I think it also maybe symbolizes just how even the best of us who are from a lower class who want to get our way up can't can't quite get there or have to or get knocked down at a certain point you know so that's another really fascinating character I think that is worth digging into yeah and yeah i'm not gonna add anything to that because okay. <laughs> um, just as anything but uh in, in, in my case i would actually highlight um jang Jin, which played the poor mother um, she's the one that stuck with me on my first watch i was yeah. just fascinated with how how it, in control she was um she's uh you know the, the father is like oh i'm so proud of you making something in her life and the mother's like yeah, she's, he's going. And even when, you know, even how she kicked someone on the yeah. staircase, it was all, it feels like she knew what she was doing. And I just appreciated how, how steely she was. And in that family, when they were all drunk, Mr. Kim snapped and he, and she did not like back down and she he, she just like smiled like you're a cockroach and i just like how she lays it all and she's a, she's a truth teller and like she's also a quiet force in this family yeah. uh yeah so and then another supporting actress <laughs> here is lee jung yun which is the housekeeper uh yeah. <laughs> any thoughts on her <laughs> Uh, kind of speaking of the sort of comedic relief in a way, I think she she she's another one who's very big with a lot of her her scenes, but is just just the expressions she makes are just hilarious. And but you also get to that uh, when it when it gets to a, a darker, deeper moment that she reveals 
you know, talking about her and her husband and the fact that they're hiding from loan sharks and um, you definitely get a rich history there, I think, just from how she conveys that. Yeah, um, I can actually see why there was no supporting actors that was um, highlighted one because these four are just, uh, (laughs) they all had um, uh, tricky parts in their performances and they were all just able to pull it off and maybe that's the reason why they were they did not single out a supporting actress but yeah yeah how about the men (laughs) because yeah of course we give spotlight first to the women how about the men (laughs) want to talk about some of the men well yeah i mean song kang ho certainly above all but um no i i I think they're all just really well cast in those roles i mean the uh, Lee Sun Hyun even is just you know the, this great example of a of a rich father who can't really be bothered with a lot of things and is sort of dismissive often even when Mr. Kim is like talking about how like you you love your wife right and you know he's just a little bit like evasive about it doesn't really uh, talk about it directly so I think he's he's great for that um I mean, honestly, I think this entire cast is perfectly cast for those roles in a way that I, I wouldn't, I, I can't even think of, you know, another actor in these types of roles, even down to like the, the park children, I think are great as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, of course, this is, I, uh, it's important to highlight how this cast uh, was just so well calibrated. These performances are all giving off energy to each other. And um, yeah, this is a terrific ensemble performance. But if there was a casting award at the Oscars, do you think Parasite would have gotten a nomination? Definitely a nomination, yes. I think, I mean, just based on the SAG Award win, that it's probably the front runner. In, in that kind of a category. But uh, I don't know. There's There was a lot of good, great casts last year, so hard to say. Yeah. But it I would mean, be pred- very much deserving of that, yeah. yeah. I predicted Hollywood. <laughs> like, of course they're gonna go with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But yeah, that Parasite win just was significant because of, yeah, it is, a, it is an ensemble performance. And in some ways, I can also get how they did not uh, pick one. I mean, aside, I mean, barring the underlying problems with how you see Asian actors, it's hard to single out one here. And just a shout out to Choi Wushik for being the <laughs> the pseudo lead of this film, for being the true yeah, emo- uh, an emotional anchor here. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, how about memorable scenes, do you? Do you have any favorite scene? I mean, there's a lot. (laughs) Obviously, there's a lot. (laughs) The entire film is a memorable scene. (laughs) Um, But I I really just, I feel like I will never get out of my mind the scene where the housekeeper rings the doorbell (laughs) and how everything just changes after that. Because again, you expect this film to be one thing and it turns out to be something even deeper and more meaningful. And I just, I, I remember seeing that in the theater, which was a, a theater full of people who were totally into the film, who were just like very engrossed, laughing at all the right parts and 
gasping at certain parts. And I just remember that moment where the doorbell rings and it's the housekeeper and they don't know what to do. And then suddenly the parks are coming home. I just remember that so vividly watching that in the theater of just everything's just escalating and escalating and escalating. And I think it's such a masterful example of editing another thing it should have won at the Oscars. Um, (laughs) Easily. Yeah, I, I just will never forget the experience of seeing what happens in that switch from the first half to the second half. But I mean, also the birthday party is just <laughs> absolutely insane. Just a spectacularly executed sequence with so many different characters and so many moving parts that I feel like you could get lost in that in, if it was a lesser director, but it's just so in control. Plus the flood sequence, I just remember being really blown away by uh, that entire, how that was filmed from a cinematography level alone was just really striking. So yeah, I named like three or four scenes, but yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, totally the flood scene. Um, uh, I mean, I already mentioned how emotional I got with that one, that birthday, which was just, which was suddenly just, explosion of violence that makes sense because everything was building to that yep um and actually with the moment with the housekeeper i'm gonna i'm just gonna go a little bit forward and when she's cooking in the round on and everyone was scrambling like, yes <laughs> all right <laughs> all right i'm this is crazy so yeah that that is that and when they took over and they kicked out that that montage of how they took over and kicked out that hand that handmade. I I knew I was gonna slip with say handmade. <laughs> I know I'm a fan of the handmade still. Um, anyway, <laughs> anyway um, yeah, of the, of the housekeeper, and um, this is just I'm just so appreciative of how the editing pieces it all together, the geography of how characters move in terms of the space and at the same time how they move up it's just so cohesive and yeah i appreciate how these moments that i think those two are like the showiest editing and uh, like oh, the yeah. birthday scene the bunker i don't know the bunker reveal the ramdon and the takeover those are just showy editing and um but aside from just showy it just it's just masterful plotting of symbolisms of characterizations and story moving forward so it's showing off that makes sense so yeah good call for ACE for giving it its first uh, the first foreign language film winner at the drama because yeah um and yeah like you said it should have won film editing um I know some people listening here are going to say Ford versus Ferrari like sure great film as well but yeah Parasite is doing something different (laughs) but yeah um, actually, I have the opposite experience of your viewing experience because you watch it in a packed theater. Mm. I watched it with only three of us. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, we're, I'm not sure if I, this is so funny, but should I laugh or like, okay? But right. <laughs> yeah. Regardless of, I mean, it would have been encouraging if the people, the two people in front of me, were also laughing. I mean, they're eating snacks. But um, I would have been encouraging because I want I want to laugh, but like <laughs> so it's yeah. all suppressed. But 
Yeah, the engagement this film brings out, even if you're watching it at home or watching it in a, in a theater, it's just on an entirely uh, immeasurable level. And yeah, I was watching it again a few days ago and like my mouth dropped at one point, even though I've seen this film already. <laughs> like I got goosebumps. I like stood up at one point just because I was like freaking out with like the tension. <laughs> like it's such a an involving experience, even for people who don't watch a lot of non-English language films, I think can appreciate just on a pure entertainment level what this film does. Yeah, and I, and I just, again, uh, go back to how important it's best picture win is because, um, because, you know, even if, here as in film twitter and oscar fans we know the oscars don't always get it right even how much we love talking about it but for many people the oscars is their gateway they're gonna look at what won yep. and this I, I just think this is such a great entry point to world cinema because if you're gonna get introduced this is such a high point and it's just uh if this is your first time, it's just it's just gonna uh, uh, it's just a terrific introduction to world cinema, and I hope and I think you know even if there are some crazy people on YouTube like why did it win? It's not an American film. Yeah. I think this is just gonna open the floodgates for people really appreciating films not in the English language, and hopefully they overcome that one inch barrier that hey. honestly, yeah <laughs> that Bong Joon Ho yeah. mentioned in his um Golden Globe speech. Um yeah truly truly uh so yeah but just speaking of jaw dropping moments I would never forget the bunker reveal how my mouth was just open and I was looking at my mom and she was also panicking so we're not helping each other around like okay we're just this is not going, this is not great. But yeah, this is a, a film that has a lot of twists, but it doesn't rely on those for you to appreciate it because yeah, it continues to go deeper and deeper once you know already the twist. It's still an engaging watch and you see more. And yeah, great call for uh, uh, the Academy for embracing it in a big way. So. I think that's a, uh, any final thoughts on this film? Yeah, I mean, like, this is really <laughs> a kind of a film that you could do like a four or five hour podcast on and not even get everything um, said about how amazing this, this film is. I mean, it's, it, it sounds crazy to just be like hyping a film up this much, <laughs> but it really is just a great example of so many different elements of what makes film such an enduring and great experience that so many people value because it's not only a great entertaining experience but it's also so rich with themes and speaks to what's happening in not only South Korea but all over the world and what, what more can you want from a film really I mean I think it's absolutely a masterpiece and that is not a word that i would use for even a lot of films from the 2010s to be honest because 
uh, on some level, it feels a little early to be saying something like that when, when a film has just come out last year. But I have full confidence that this is going to be one of those films that is regarded as maybe even a turning point for a lot of people in cinema as far as, um, you know, their exposure to films that are in different languages. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think this is just going to inspire a, a new generation of filmmakers from all over the world who is who, um, you know, they may they may fear that if I go weird, I might not find an audience. But this proves like, go weird. <laughs> it's fine. Just have this voice and hopefully you get a, a great distribution company and then right. you're going to find your way to an audience that would embrace you because... Yeah, this is a generation where this is a, we have now a generation of film goers where authenticity is such a key. Um, with so many people making movies now, it's so democratized. I think standing out is a hard thing, and sometimes standing out can also be a detriment if you're just trying to show off just to stick out. But Parasite just stands out in so many ways. So even if you're just watching it for the pure enjoyment or you want to go talk about it and yeah it was this was, this was a daunting task to have this as the pilot of the podcast to talk about parasite i know um, i mean uh you know just one month or two months after it was released there were already like several uh film uh, video essays on youtube like how can you even tear this film apart so, and then think pieces i mean it's not like the think pieces like how green book won so those are not the think pieces <laughs> So yeah, this is a loaded film and yeah, we just talked about it for more than an hour and just the film itself. So talking about how it was received well, I think it's now the time to talk about its journey to Oscar gold. So Parasite premiered at Cannes, won Palm d'Or, and again, it's South Korea's first win in nomination. It was released in the United States in October 11, and its domestic gross is $53 million, and worldwide is 254. I wrote down here counting, but I think cinemas are closed, so counting stopped. Um, uh, do you think... All right, so I think it's hard to talk about Parasite's international feature film journey, separating it to the picture journey. Um, yeah. Was it an easy ride for Parasite? Uh, sort of, yes. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. kind of, just because, I mean, the way that people were talking about it from so early on, you know, it, it won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, which doesn't always mean that it translates to best international feature win, always, but the the rapturous response that it received made it feel like 
okay, this, if anything, this race is over <laughs> pretty much. Like it's one of those things where like when Roma came out the, the, the year previous, it became pretty clear that no other film was going to stop Roma. Um, and uh, yeah, I think, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think there was a lot of great international films last year. And yes. I think a, a lot of them would have made for great winners overall. They just got very unlucky to be coming out in the year of Parasite. So yeah, I mean, I think the, the buzz was very early and clear and set the bar for that category. And there was just no stopping it once it got to a point where it was winning literal like best picture prizes from most of the critics organizations, even in America. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you know, as an Asian, <laughs> I appreciated how it went because, um, I, th I I thought the moment it went out of can, I, I I was not paying attention to can. I'm so sorry, can, and it got postponed. But um, when the buzz, like you said, when the buzz was not just about it being the front runner in international feature, but it like it being a picture contender, like a solid picture contender. This is this is not. This is not a, a non-English language film that was nominated for picture because it expanded. No, this was one of the front runners. Right, so right, I really right. appreciated it. Um, and I was just excited because of how it was being received. And yeah, people just cannot stop talking about it. And like you said, it was a terrific year for inter uh, international films. We're going to discuss some of them. <laughs> I think a lot of them later. Um, I'm actually interested in how and on why actually um, this this premiered Canon May actually premiered in the Philippines around August, but it opened in October in U.S. Um, of course, October is like yes. If if, if it's gonna go for picture, then open it in October. Yep. But I was also thinking um, that built the desire for people to catch up with it because it's not something you can just watch like oh it premiered in may next month we're gonna watch it like you have to wait for it and they rolled it out like very few theaters so it was and then the buzz was about parasite having packed theaters and it was a wonderful um strategy release strategy and i think yeah props to Nian for handling it for making a best picture contender and ultimately a winner out yeah, of, especially for Neon, yeah. that is a that is a new company, pretty much compared to a lot of the studios that campaign for Oscars. It's only a few years old, and it not only got a Best Picture winner already, but it made history doing so. So I think that that was such a perfectly executed campaign, and I do think that films can win on their merits which is what this film I think did. But I also think with campaigns, there needs to be an added factor of an emotional response as far as like the, the people involved with it. And I think Bong Joon-ho was such a sensation with uh, FYC events and shaking hands with people 
and uh, just really going out there and going to every festival and just selling his film so well and in a way that he was like so infectious about it like he was so excited and he's he's such a just a guy that you want to want to meet and talk to about film and I think that's something that for example like Guillermo del Toro I think benefited from that a few years ago with The Shape of Water where you just have this auteur director who hasn't really uh, gotten that level of like critical and Oscar-y sort of acclaim to that like front runner status before. But, you know, once, once it happens, it's like, we just want to get behind this guy. Right. So. Yeah. He made it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and, and late night shows. I mean, right. when I saw that he was doing late night shows, like, Bong is really was he was in the game and he was enjoying it because sometimes you can see you can see contenders like you you can sense it sometimes or like uh this book here because I I need to sell this film but Bong was really enjoying it and with a terrific translator Sharon Choi also a filmmaker which just conveyed um the energy, the enthusiasm, and that he was just living it and he was just enjoying every moment. And yep. um, yeah, people responded to it and they wanted to meet Bong and yeah, it was wonderful. So yeah, quite sad that so many terrific films were released last year and then you have like a, an easy winner <laughs> because usually you yeah. get easy winners when the competitive, uh, when the competition is non-threatening, but yeah, I think let's just, I think, perfect segue to visit the other nominees. So, roll call. The nominees are Corpus Christi from Poland, Honeyland from North Macedonia, Lems Hob from France, and Pain and Glory from Spain. So, would you like to talk about any of these films? Well, like I said, very good lineup overall. And um, I, I think in another year, Pain and Glory probably could have won. Uh, I think maybe in a, in a, maybe even a weaker year that maybe like Les Miserables could have won potentially. Uh, but yeah, I think I, I really like all of these films. I think Pain and Glory for me is the top of those just because that's another film that feels so personal and integral to the director who created it, Pedro Almodovar, that is, um, that it, it, it really sort of feels like a culmination of his career where he's really commenting on his life and it's like semi-autobiographical, not, not entirely, but certainly has elements of that. And he also had Antonio Banderas and Penelope Cruz who had been in so many of his films before. So it really felt like even more of that sort of a appreciation of Pedro um, that you know, I, I think it's such a, a beautifully executed film just about an artist who is at a certain stage in his career and in his life and has some regrets and is really feeling uh, just a little bit melancholy about uh, where he is at this point in his life and feeling like some of his best years are behind him. And I, I mean, the, the scene that really always sticks out for me is when his old lover comes back um, and it's just you feel like all of that 
sexual tension. <laughs> oh yes, been, we do feel that. <laughs> it's just like boiling over and you just really feel it. And when they kiss, it's so beautiful. Um, and so I, I was so happy that Antonio Banderas was nominated. Uh, his first ever nomination after so many decades in the industry. Uh, and what a, what a perfect film for him to be nominated for with Pedro Almodovar. Um, so like I said, I think that is really the film that of all of these suffered the most from Parasite being here. <laughs> as sad as yeah. that is. Yeah, totally. But, but then again, uh, Pedro yeah. Almodovar has won this category before with All About My Mother. So yeah, and talk to her on an original screenplay. So right. yeah, yeah, he's good. Yeah, um, yeah. I remember the, there was a moment in time where there was a push for Amadover to get a directing nomination. Oh yeah, yeah. Which would have been a deserving one. Um, this this film is just so full of life. Like I said, it's not just the popping colors. It's it's the energy and the life on how he's telling the story, which obviously meant so much to him. And you have Antonio Banderas and Penelope Cruz giving uh, fantastic work. Um, Antonio Banderas, in my opinion, he's my pick. Yeah, 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 good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Same page, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, please don't leave this podcast if you think Joaquin deserved it. We love him, I love him as well. But yeah, personal opinion, uh, Antonio Banderas, I think that performance is so subtle, yet there's, there's just so much emotion there. And yeah, that moment, for all time's sake, that scene was just, um, and then, so, and then when, you took, when you see Banderas' performance, a lot of small things are popping here and there, which suggests so much like pain and regret. And just, it's such a lived-in performance that it didn't need big scenes for it to stick out. It's a performance that uh, only a great actor could have given because maybe some other actors would have wanted a big scene and that did not need a big scene. And it's just so much, um, yeah, full of life. And I agree, Pain and Glory suffered. It's, I think it was the distant number two or not. Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I sort of think that like in the best picture race, like even 1917 was a distant number two. Like, I really feel like there was no stopping Parasite in either Best Picture or for language film or international film, I should say. So, yeah. 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 I have my last doubts with <laughs> Parasite winning picture, but yeah, Parasite, uh, I think well, there was just so much love for it. And how about direct, did you predict Bomb? No, I did not. I was not courageous enough to do that just because it flew in the face of most of our stats that we rely on because Sam Mendes of course had won the BAFTA and the Golden Globe and the Directors Guild Award he won pretty much all of the major directing prizes but I really I remember writing an article for Gold Derby and I made the case for Bong Joon-ho being the next Guillermo del Toro like I said someone who gets in front of a crowd and is so charming and you want to meet him and he's, you know, he's just created this clear masterpiece. Uh, and I remember feeling instinctively that like he could maybe win this. And that was like in early January or so. 
And then Sam Mendes just started winning everything. And I was just like, well, even still, maybe there will be like a split. Uh, and that's what I ended up predicting. But I mean, when, when that Bong Joon-ho win happened, I was, that was honestly like one of the most surprising moments I have had watching the Oscars ever, even more so than picture. The fact that he could win director was astonishing. Yeah, uh, winning picture for Parasite, I think I, I also predicted it winning picture, but not directing. I thought it, it, it can do it because if you're gonna, yeah, like recent trends, like you're gonna, recent trends would point towards Salmon does winning, like, oh, yeah, the big achievement, the one take. Yep. The, yep. Yeah, so when he won, I mean, I also screamed for Parasite when it won picture, oh, but <laughs> my throat hurt the most <laughs> when he won directing. It was like, oh, dear. This is really happening, you know, because you, you were just looking for some sort of affirmation that Parasite would win. Yep. Because um, at that moment, uh, original screenplay, like maybe Hollywood, even if it won BAFTA, and directing maybe 1917. And so um, when it won uh, original screenplay, like, yeah, of course, it's the most original one even though that did not help the previous year. And then... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Have fun talking yeah. about that one. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, and then when it won for Legacy, I'm like, sure, even if Penelope Cruz won Parasite, of course, yeah. it, it's going to win. I mean, I don't, I don't like it when the, a star of a film and a nominee shows up like, no, it's going to be awkward. But then when it won directing, it's like, oh, no, 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 this is happening. This is short. And actually, yep. a friend of mine talked to me and said, I was actually more nervous when he won directing because what if the split was the other way around? <laughs> what if 1917 oh was... But I thought with if Bong was going to get directing, I don't think the length of goodwill that Paris had built throughout the months can just be thrown away by a late breaker, 1917, right. which... Which is also a great film, but I it came too it came too late. <laughs> I mean, good for them for sticking with a December twenty five. I think it also did good for them that they stayed late. Oh yeah. But yeah, painting glory was I think the biggest casualty. Mm -hmm. It could have been easy win for Spain. Um, how about Honeyland? Yeah, uh, Honeyland is a very interesting nominee here. Because, as we know, it is also a documentary. And it was also nominated for Best Documentary Feature. And that's one of very few films in history to do that. And for the, it to be... The first. Is it the actual first? I think, yeah, yeah. to get both. Yeah, I yeah. think that's right. Um, and for it to come from North Macedonia, which is a country that hadn't gotten any nominations before, uh, I think was an incredible achievement. And also... I, 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 was, I was so happy that it was nominated not only for those reasons, but just it's its, its own like interesting commentary on different, uh, just like the way we treat each other and uh, like corporations versus the little people, quote unquote, uh, with a really fascinating protagonist <laughs> who is just very charming and fascinating to watch. So, yeah. 
I love Honeyland as well. Yeah, Honeyland is a really special case because I predicted it in documentary, but I thought, no, it's not going to go for like an international feature. But it did, and I'm so happy that it did because it's now a first. So maybe more people are going to take a look at what's that film. And yeah, so happy for this this film to even exist. Um, watching it was just, I had no expectations I mean, I heard it. It was great, and it's it's like, like *Parasite*. It's nothing like what what you think when you when you're coming in watching it, and it just turned out to be such a fascinating portrait of this woman that um, just has so much love for her mother and her work. But yeah, in this case, it's like capitalism can ruin yeah. their lives. Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And just so happy that this film exists and got nominated and got treated this way with two nominations. And also from Neon. Yep. Yeah. Good job, Neon, for doing this. Yeah, they this. really, they killed it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, coming in this uh, category and at the Oscars with these two wonderful films, um, non-English films. Yeah. Yeah, making history in so many ways. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so and Corpus Christi hmm. from Poland. Which is, is a also... film that did not even really get released in the United States before this nomination. So it, it, it did qualify, I think. It had like a qualifying run, but as far as like most people had no idea even what this film was. <laughs> um, and I know that like very few people were even predicting it to be nominated. I can I say know. that I was. I, <laughs> I, I did know. predict it, so I was very proud of myself because I actually read an article from my friend Tom O'Brien, um, who had seen all of the nominate or all of the shortlisted films for the international feature, like nine or ten films, and he said it was like a crowd pleaser and just kind of a interesting, like a comedy slash drama with like an interesting concept um and it's all about this this guy who gets who kind of swindles his way you know this is another uh, common theme of you know manipulating your way into a interesting community um and becoming a, a what is it a priest yeah i think it's a priest yeah of, priest a community and really just sort of winging it <laughs> just like just like Jessica in Parasite is <laughs> winging it uh, and gets involved with a girl and complications ensue. But yeah, I think this was a interesting film that is uh, the best part about it is probably the lead performance. I think he's really good. Uh, otherwise, it's sort of clearly like a four or five for me <laughs> in that category, but it's still still solid. I don't know if you got a chance to see it. Yeah, um, I I crammed Honeyland and Corpus Christi last week in preparation for this. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Corpus Christi is a very interesting one. Um, I've always been fascinated with films about religion, not religious, religious films, but religion and how it works in a society and even the hypocrisy and the religiosity of the people here. And I found myself surprised because I did not predict Corpus Christi uh, I thought, nope, they're not going to go there. They're going to go in other directions, which we're going to talk about later. But 
yeah, I just found it so fascinating um, how they discussed uh, religiosity and redemption and right. with a powerful performance in its center. Uh, I forgot the name, but <laughs> yeah, he's a really wonderful actor and that I, I'm happy that they mentioned it. I mean, it kind of felt like a nomination that they would do, but at the same time, Quality wise, yeah, this is this is not um, this is not uh, a lazy nomination at all. This is a fascinating film which yeah. would had things to say and told the story in a very uh, fascinating way. So the last nominee I was not able to watch, oh. but take it away. I mean, I've seen a twenty twelve version, and that's yeah. not anything like this. So yeah, let Yes. So this is a French film. It is kind of about the uh, tensions between certain communities in uh, in the streets of France um, and tensions with the police, police brutality, uh, that sort of thing. And it's very, very visceral and very like on the ground and just very like gritty sort of filmmaking uh, that is, I think, capturing a little bit of what something like do the right thing did spike lee's film of really examining just some really tense uh feelings between different communities and how it can really just explode in the end um i don't think it's like a masterpiece on the level of do the right thing by any means but um it's still definitely one of those films that i understand why france chose it more on that later <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, as far as other french films that people liked from 2019 uh, i understand why they chose this just because it spoke to a lot of societal aspects of the french contemporary culture and really showing how uh, you know to to uh, to to bring it back to like the title les miserables um it sort of is very 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 loosely taking some elements of just what those those characters in the victor hugo hugo novel experienced basically on the streets and how like one little decision that someone makes for example like someone stealing bread can really just set off a chain of reactions that just completely destroy a community and cause so much strife so yeah i again wouldn't say that it's like one of the best here but i think it's worth it i suppose so yeah i mean every every film nominated here is one that i understand why the academy went with it and i'm i'm happy with these nominations overall and it's sad that none of them had a chance <laughs> in a way yeah None of them. Uh, yeah, yeah, I um, I look forward to seeing this film. Um, yeah, I'm interested. Why? <laughs> because we're going to talk about that one film later. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that I have seen. <laughs> All right. So yeah, let's go to the, uh, just quick, if you want to talk about any of the shortlisted ones. So this is actually the first year where the Academy went for 10 in their shortlist because previously it's always nine. So before it's six 
and then three saved by the committee, and now it's seven, and then three as well. So the films uh, that were shortlisted were Atlantiques from Senegal, Beanpole from Russia, The Painted Bird from Czech Republic, Those Who Remained from Hungary, and Truth and Justice from Estonia. I predicted Atlantiques and Beanpole. <laughs> I predicted uh, um, Atlantics and... Mm. Yeah, I think I think I didn't predict Honeyland, but I did predict Atlantics, which I yeah. have not seen, unfortunately, still, even though everyone says that I should. At, 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 at Antiques? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, dear. I, I haven't, I've seen none of these films, but yeah, uh, I thought at Antiques was, um, was going to get it because of the Netflix factor. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, just some representation in African cinema, please. (laughs) And then Russia, um, there was just um, some buzz with it uh, coming into the race and Russia is a pretty regular nominee here. Interestingly, many of these films um, nominated and shortlisted came from Cannes, premiered at Cannes, like Parasite, Pain and Glory, Les Miserables, Atlantiques, Mm -hmm. Beanpole, so yeah, Cannes was the thing this year. And even Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and yeah, that one film we're going to talk about later. So, but yeah, how about the submissions? We had 94 submissions and 93 were accepted. Do you want to talk about any of the other films? Oh, any thoughts on the shortlisted ones? Uh, haven't seen any of the rest of them, sadly. I'm in yeah. the same boat as you. <laughs> yeah, me too, not yet. Um, now, how about the submissions, any of these 94, even the disqualified I, ones? I have seen Invisible Life, which I thought was really, really beautiful and features a really, it was, I should say, it was uh, Brazil's submission that did not get shortlisted, but is really beautiful and features a really great uh, Fernando Montenegro performance speaking of someone who has not been uh, at the Oscars since her nomination um, for Central Station in like 1998, I want to say that was. But yeah, that, that was a really beautiful film that um, is set in the 1950s and is sort of like a, almost like a melodrama sort of a thing that is about sisters who are, separated and lead very different lives let's just say and um they 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 there's a lot of just tension that they have to deal with with the very patriarchal society they both have to deal with you know the presence of men just really controlling their lives in many ways and how they've been separated for so long and uh just about that that whole tension there but yeah, really, really beautiful, especially if you like melodramas like a like a Douglas Sirk or a Todd Haynes sort of a thing. Yeah, written on the wind. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Also, it can release. So yeah, yeah. and it was also brought by Amazon. So interesting. Yeah, it's it's one of those films that I was surprised was not shortlisted. Um, together with uh, Monas which was also was from Colombia, also handled by Neon, starring an American actress. So I think those were two of kind of a surprising omissions yeah. in the shortlist. 
Um, before I talk about films I haven't even watched, I'm just gonna highlight something I've watched, <laughs> which is Weathering With You from Japan, right. also eligible for animated feature. Saw it in a cinema, first anime ever in a cinema. Um, it's it's about a a guy who ran from the province, and then it's a, it's like rainy season in Tokyo, and there's a lot of flooding, and he meets a girl that can control the weather, so they make a living out of controlling the weather. So you know, if you have a birthday party you want to celebrate with a man from the bunker, and you need a sunny day, you contact a girl that can control the weather. So um, that just it's a beautiful film. I had some issues with um, the narrative, but it's just, I appreciate that experience. It's a beautiful, beautiful film. With that music can easily just, dom those original songs can dominate original song if they were eligible. And yeah, Weathering With You had a nice showing at uh, Annie Awards, so good for them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just wish it made it in either, maybe animated feature more, but yeah. Uh, how about by the director of your name, right? M Makoto yeah, Shinkai. Makoto Shinkai. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably wrong that I did not watch that one first. <laughs> Should probably watch that one first. Sorry, right. uh, yeah, it wasn't submitted to the Oscars. Oh, but it's also eligible in an animated feature in 2016. How about And Then We Danced? Have you seen it? Nope. Nope. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so it's a Georgian-Swedish film that was submitted by Sweden because it was controversial in Georgia and it's about uh, gay ballet dancers and that's something I want to watch soon. Yeah, um, Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, any other submissions you want to highlight or want to talk about? Um, I don't know. I... Yeah, I think we covered most of the major ones. Yeah. Yeah. I can't say that I've seen quite, uh, most of these, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah just the, the, the nature of uh, what I do with podcasting is uh, limits my ability to see a lot of modern films, usually. But oh, yes. You're just in the 40s. I'm so focused, focused on like the distant past at this point. <laughs> But oh. but there's so many there that I do want to catch up with eventually. This is, yeah, like we said, it's a really really great year for international yeah. film. Yeah, Parasite just taking the st uh, the steam out of every other contender. Um, yeah. yeah, just yeah, and we, we should probably talk, also yeah. just talk about how this was the first South Korean film to even be nominated for best international film in 92 years. Uh, yeah and then it won and then it won best picture it's just yeah. a crazy, crazy confluence of events yeah it, yeah i mean the previous year they got uh shortlisted so maybe that's like the beginning of a journey but yeah. um yeah quite interesting that for so long um films from italy and france and sweden have been nominated been nominated for picture and foreign language film and they've been nominated multiple times, and then the one to do it is South Korea on their first nomination and first win. It's just like, yay! Crazy. <laughs> good for I love it. good for them. I know. Yeah, it just speaks to how undeniable this film is. Um, just have to talk about two films that were disqualified.
because of language issues. Those were Joy from Austria and Lionheart from Nigeria. So those were disqualified because they had um, primarily English dialogue with Lionheart only 11 of the 95 minutes is, in, is not in English. And there was some controversy there because Ava DuVernay and Lulu Wang spoke up about how excluding Lionheart is like a weird one since, you know, they were colonized and that's their language and now you're going to blame them for it. Yep. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, the Academy stood by the rules and saying that we sent them the rules and if you want to submit, you got to follow the rules. So yeah, Nigeria conceded there. And then Joy which was Austria. Just just weird that um, they accepted these nominees and then released the, the eligibility lineup and then disqualified them. So maybe that made it like a SAR thing to talk yeah. about. But I think yeah. that, was, that was a big tension of, of that is just like, how did they not know this, you know, to start with? It's just, yeah. it, just seems, it just seems weird that like, it, it took like the extra step and, and it made it feel worse that it was in contention, but then they had to disqualify it. And it, you know, so I don't know. Yeah. And then Lionheart in Austria, which um, the parts of the dialogue are in also in like a mixture of Nigerian and English. So to exclude African um, yeah. films with African language, in you know in a in a in an award show and in the world where uh, african cinema is being underrepresented and it's just being fairly recently where they've been getting the spotlight i mean i mean they won in 1970s but um like the cinema is just booming right now and for this exclusion to come it's just like a weird like that's yeah because this is usually the only way that films like that are rewarded with Oscars, you know? So yeah. this is like the only opportunity for a lot of films like this, especially smaller films, to get any sort of recognition uh, with the Oscars at least. And for that to happen just makes it feel like there's no winning either way, like it's lose-lose. So it's very unfortunate. Yeah, it was unfortunate. And yeah, it was a pretty weird moment in time, but then yeah. We got past that. So uh, we're going to take a look at other nominees. Just a quick mention. Other nominees at this Oscars that were also not in English, but were nominated. So for Sama in documentary feature. Beautiful. Nominated at the BAFTA for not in best film, not in the English language. Um, haven't seen it yet. And then The Cave from Syria and Denmark. I Lost My Body from, Brazil, uh, from France and The Edge of Democracy. So, yeah, always interesting how in the documentary category, they're more open with films not in English. And I think just because the nature of documentary filmmaking, you get a lot of funding. Yeah, I was going to say you're sort of telling stories from all over the world. So that's those those films tend to just uh, have more impact, especially on fellow documentary documentarians in the uh oscar membership that i feel like there's a level of difficulty there that they really can appreciate in that in that field yeah 
and just to add the nature of the financing in documentary it's usually you go to several countries to find to fund these films so yeah and yeah i think it's now time to talk about films that were not submitted probably should have been i know we're talking about the same film so i would let you go ahead with it Portraits of a Lady on Fire. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this is, even though we said that, like, you know, some of these nominees didn't really have a chance of beating Parasite, I think, you know, if France had submitted Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I think it would have taken some votes, for sure. I think that was another film that really... Uh, had a lot of passion, clearly, and still has a lot of passion um, that probably would would have been a second place choice <laughs> there. Uh, but yeah, it's for those who somehow have not seen it yet, it is now coming to a lot of streaming services, at least here in the US. Uh, Hulu. <laughs> Hulu, yes. Beautiful people at Hulu. Um, <laughs> it's, it's about women falling in love. And sometimes when subject matter is that simple, they just do not get submitted, as we talked about earlier with And Then We Danced. Uh, there's just the, the, the whole nature of this uh, selection process with how countries submit their, what they consider their best film to the Oscars usually sometimes means that films like this with a gay subject matter are excluded for a variety of reasons and it's very sad um but yes portrait of a lady on fire is beautiful it has some of the best cinematography of all time <laughs> i mean it's just so, <laughs> it's so beautiful and lush and colorful and uh, has so many striking shots just from the two of them looking at each other. And it's such a beautiful slow burn kind of an experience that it's just almost hypnotic what it does to you. It just lures you in just as much as they are being lured by each other. Mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> some of the best, two of the best performances of 2019 as well, especially Adele Hanel yeah um also from neon so oh their plate was full um yeah, yeah it was this was this was a weird one because um there were i think I, I remember in 2018 there was some skepticism about like if roma's gonna win picture can cold war win foreign language film and yep. i think that conversation would have popped out if portrait of a lady on fire was here not sure if how Neil would have handled the campaign, but um, yeah, it's just what watching. I haven't seen Lemon's Job, but watching Portrait of a Lady in Fire, it's just again like Honeyland, unbelievable that this film exists, this amount of beauty that it has, and this beauty in telling a story, beauty of the images, um, and uh. Yeah, I, I actually predicted it in cinematography and costume design, which was, I don't know if that was pretty stupid. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Portrait of a Lady of Fire got nominated to Globes, BAFTA. So it shows that it was under the radar of so many people. And if 
uh, if France submitted this, then maybe they stood a, a bit of a better shot. Um, also from Cannes, one queer Pam. All right, so this one is going to be contentious. How about the farewell? Mm, yes. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and mm-hmm. that brings up a lot of questions about, again, the nature of the parameters that we put in place for what is a foreign language film? You know, what is, how, how do we classify this film that is told from distinctly an Asian American point of view and is told from the, and is, comes from the United States. This is a United States film. This is not from another country submitting their film. And that is why it was ineligible to be submitted for this category. Uh, I think there needs to be more consistency with how we classify these things because a lot of people brought this up at the time when it was nominated for a Golden Globe. But Inglorious Bastards, for example, is 70%, I want to say, in another language. And that yeah. film had no problem getting a Golden Globe nomination for Best Picture. It was never even really conceived to be like, this is a forward language film. You know, this was just a Quentin Tarantino film. Um, but with this, it was like always getting these foreign language or non-English language classifications in so many different award shows that didn't sit right with me. Even though a lot of the film is not in English, um, it's, it, it's just, it's hard for me to really say that this should have been in international film, for example. Yeah, that's always the tricky thing. I think the the fun part in this category is the when you see the nominees ready and you talk about who's going to win. But the selection process and then the eligibility eligibility process is always the messy one because it can always get political. And and I think just the nature of how films are being made now, um, we're now uh, there are so many uh, co-productions from all over the world. It's what's a Swedish film? What's an American film? So um, I, I, I am interested in how the Academy would go around or are they going to be stickler for tradition? And like, oh, well, it, you, can, you cannot compete if this is your language. And going that direction, how do you feel about the change in the title from foreign language film to international feature? Because it kind of creates a little bit of confusion, I guess, because when you say foreign language film, they say that it's outdated. And I can sense, I can understand that. But at the same time, when they rename it international feature film and nothing changed other than that title, it creates confusion. Um, yeah. And, you know, if if that's not a factor anymore, I mean, for example, if can UK now submit 1917, for example, for a best, a best international feature. So uh, yeah, the Pharaoh sadly got, got um, mixed up in that because it is clearly an American film, but an American filmmaker, it's just that it's in majority in Mandarin. And I can go to how Inglorious Bastards 
was did not have that problem but letters from OG one one foreign language films so again like are, do you have problems with Asians <laughs> like that that sort of thing you know we'll never know because it's it can be a subconscious thing but any other films that you think would can be mentioned um those were the big ones <laughs> I would say yeah. <laughs> I, I can't really think of another one that really uh resonated with me as much then Portrait of Lady on Fire, and I guess if you want to classify it as this, then The Farewell at the same time, I think is a beautiful emotional experience that very much made me cry <laughs> by the end. Yeah. With a totally. phenomenal performance by Zhao Shuzhen, who was another person who was robbed. Yeah. Completely. Oh gosh. Nominate Asians in acting categories. Come on. And yeah, yeah. that, yeah, Zhao Shuzhen got supporting artist campaign. Uh, but you know, yeah, we're not gonna name names. But if Jennifer Lopez could not get in, yeah. All right, so um, let's now go to the final question. That's I think when you're if you're listening to this conversation, you already know what the the question. And I might change this question in the future. But do you think Parasite was a worthy winner in international feature film? I would say Parasite is one of the worthiest films to win international film in Academy history. Um, I think it speaks beautifully to what this category is all about, which is honoring a film from another culture in another language, but that also manages to speak to a universal experience. And that is a big part, part of why it won Best Picture, I think. And yes, absolutely, 1,000% is worthy and deserving, even over all of these great films that it was nominated with. No questions asked. Yeah. Totally, no questions asked. And, and I don't know, I mean, is it your number one for Best for 2019? Yes. Yeah, it is also my number one. So yeah, it's not only a worthy winner in international feature, it is a worthy best picture winner. And I'm so glad we ended this uh, last decade with this. Quite a rebound. The <laughs> and, biggest rebound of all. Oh <laughs> gosh, yeah. Um, quick question. Do you think Parasite would still have won if Roma won best picture? Uh I will say it would probably be a little more difficult because I know that the Academy tends to have this sense about them that once they've taken care of one thing, they don't have to reward it again, <laughs> you know, in, a, in another year. Like, hey, we just rewarded a non-English language film. Are we going to do that again? What are we doing here? Um, so I think it would be more difficult, but I also think it still would have happened just because the film still is what it is and i think it still would have had the same response to it for sure so yeah i think that it would have won regardless of what won the previous year yeah um i really am so happy that this won and this is such a fitting uh winner for this time i think we're in a time where the rich is richer and the poor is poorer and that divide spoke to a lot of people I mean, even if you're a rich person, you you saw something here. If you're a poor person, 
we definitely saw something here and um parasite winning this and best picture is probably the best last great thing that happened this year so in the world in general in yeah. the world so good call the academy for doing the right thing for giving us something this year to hold on to yeah um uh, yeah if you feel down just watch the pot that the podcast just watch the telecast ceremony and watch jane fonda announce it again and feel good because yeah it's such a it's such a rebound at the same and at the same time i think this has done a lot of goodwill to how um asian culture asian people in general are going to be perceived in the more mainstream entertainment and how people are consuming it and you know we're not just one thing and unfortunately the job that parasite had a hand in doing it's kind of being undone now you know with people insisting that the coronavirus is the chinese virus or the wuhan virus so yeah you're back at more hate crimes for asians and yeah it's just parasite winning is just uh a wonderful cultural moment i think and it's so much bigger than the oscars i mean usually the winner of the oscars sometimes not, not usually sometimes don't have much resonance in the culture but in this one parasite just did a lot more it winning picture most of all meant a lot so yeah, for a podcast to be this loud, oh my goodness, but I am so thankful. Thank you so much again for coming here. At, I mean, this is just going to be uh, such an exciting thing from henceforth. Um, can you tell us our, our listeners where they can find you again? Well, thank you so much for having me. This is a wonderful discussion. This was great. Um, yes, you could find me on Twitter at Kevin underscore Jacobson, and that's S-E-N, not S-O-N, as some people confuse sometimes. Um, and you can, of course, find the podcast at Oscar Runner Up on Twitter. You can find the podcast anywhere you find podcasts, and you'll probably find it. Um, and yes, it's, I feel like this, this show ha really operates sort of in tandem already with what I do as far as examining a category and the context of the Oscars. So thank you so yeah. much. This is great. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. And yeah, I predict that it's gonna get harder <laughs> to contextualize things once you go back. And oh, yes. yeah, <laughs> so, so, so yeah, totally. So yeah, thank you so much for everyone who's listening and I wish you well. I hope you continue to stay at home, just stay at home and stay safe and stay healthy. Just get your groceries and medicines and just stay at home and listen to these uh podcasts that we have here <laughs> we're doing work now to entertain you in your quarantine time so yeah thank you so much i would this consider this an open invitation if you want to go back in any year there's a lot of decades to come <laughs> and this is just the beginning so yeah again thank you so much and together let's break the one inch barrier mm -hmm.